0: So season one. That went better than we thought. That went way better than we thought. I yeah. mean, I, I I thought people would like it, but the outpouring of support and, and gratitude and excitement about Big Shot, I, I didn't expect it. It's amazing. I mean, the biggest
1: takeaway I took from it was how long it took for some of these people to become overnight successes. Right. How they were able to day in, day out, keep showing up. Uh, despite all the odds, keep pushing ahead, despite everybody telling them it wouldn't work, and how they were able to maintain and build such incredible lives, both around
0: family, philanthropy, uh, and business. Yeah. It, it's quite amazing. I mean, look, as many of you know, David and I started on this on this journey as, as this incredible passion project to archive the stories of some of the greatest entrepreneurs that have ever lived. And we wanted to tell all of you, those, share those stories with all of you. And I don't think we expected that season one or that the show would, would have received the amount of, of attention that all of you gave it. So first and foremost, thank you. This weird little project that David and I wanted to put together, uh, kind of for our own consumption, right, if, I mean, it really was like something we wanted for ourselves. It, it's just timeless wisdom it, it, from it, people, it, you know, who, who you don't normally hear from. That's right, and we just wanted to do this for ourselves, but the fact that all of you not only, you know, enjoyed it, but you shared it with your friends and your family, and you wrote to us, and you DM'd us, and you emailed us, and frankly, you stopped us in the middle of airports to say, oh my God, I love Big Shot, that means so damn much to us. So yeah. first and foremost, thank you. Uh, we are we loved season one, we had a great time. Uh, we do season two, right? We're thinking about season two. We yeah, should. we'll do season two, okay. Yeah. We will do th- season two, uh, but we will do season two at a later date. Um, but the one thing that we thought we would do to close out season one and put a beautiful bow on it is that there were a couple themes that emerged from in season one, and I think One of the ideas that David and I have had is that what if we actually created these incredible compilations where we focus on one particular topic, one subject, one lesson, and then we actually create um, a very short video where you can hear from each of the guests about what they think about that particular topic.
1: And of course, what better topic to start with than chutzpah, chutzpah, right, which is so unique to the Jewish entrepreneurial experience. And each one of these guests had such a incredible I mean there were common threads with what they said. Um, you know you look at Charles, Charles talks about how chutzpah is a, a good thing in some context. But you not know. in others. Yeah. That's right. Personal chutzpah sword, are bad right? business is very good. That's right. That's right. Yeah. You know Izzy with with if, yeah. the word if, and how you can keep going when others don't think you should.
0: Yeah. What about Jonathan Weiner? Jonathan talked about that no is maybe on its way to yes. I think that's right? the title of his and who's, book. I think he has a new out. book coming out. This yeah. is not a pitch for his book, yeah. although you should probably read his book because he's an amazing He also
1: guy. made an incredible amount of money at a
0: very young age doing things that that he had no business I mean, doing. I mean, one thing with this, what about Eddie Sunshine? Eddie Sunshine created a different type of real estate model, right? Using the REIT model where he bought real estate and didn't have to put up any of his own capital. We and also
1: had Aldo in there. Aldo drops his biggest supplier uh,
0: Doc Martin. Right? And he didn't and
1: he didn't know what would happen. And and we're going to learn what
0: happens next. In that meeting where he talks about dropping Doc Martens and going at it himself, that's actually the same time where the company of Skechers was created. Right. Uh, the guy took out no pun intended, a sketch from his pocket right. and showed Aldo and said, what do you think? Anyways, there's so many amazing stories. Right. We, we have to compile them into one episode. Some of the stuff you've seen, some of the stuff you've never seen before. Yeah. And we're gonna create a few shorts where we talk about specific topics and we create sort of this, this really cool compilation. And we're gonna start with the very, very important topic of chutzpah. And one more thing. Because we can't just end like that. Dude. You're going to pitch? I'm going to pitch season two. Okay. We should right. pitch I thought you were going to
1: pitch Firebelly Tea. Oh, yeah. Well, we forgot the Firebelly also, Tea. Also, if you haven't bought Firebelly you Tea need to yet, buy, a fire belly. buy we some Firebelly Tea. You know, like, buy But season two is going to be amazing. We're, we're, thinking, we're not sure which market. We might go to New York. We might go to Boston. We, we're not sure yet. Um,
0: but let us know. Tell us, tell us in the comments. Tell us where to go, who we should interview. If you have anyone who you specifically think has to be on season two of Big Shot, we are beginning now to create our our list, uh, our cities, who we wanna interview. So if any of you watching have any great ideas, let us know, um, because we we thought season one was great, but we really wanna scale things up and make it even better for all of you for season two. Anyways, there's so many amazing stories, but we thought we'd create these, these incredible, sort of super episodes on one topic across all the guests. Ladies and gentlemen, Big Shot presents... Big Hood Shot Shorts.
1: Big Shot Shorts. <laughs> <laughs> that? Yeah. It's not that
0: short, it's 25 minutes. It's not that short. Yeah. It's not that
1: it's, short. It's iffy.
2: Started from the bottom, not a whole team hit. Started from the bottom, now we here.
0: Okay, now you're going to hear from Eddie Sunshine, the founder of RioCan, and he's going to talk about chutzpah in a way that asking for things that you have no right to actually leads to incredible results. There is a theme, uh, another theme that sort of underlies this entire project around Big Shot, which is chutzpah. And call it whatever you want to call it. Um, In fact, I'd like to hear what you think it is. How do you define chutzpah? In one word, you could say nerve. You got a nerve, <laughs> you know, the old comedian. But it's
3: basically chutzpah is either asking or doing something that you got no right actually believing you should either get or be able to do. Yeah. That to me is chutzpah. It's like you're, you got a nerve to think you're gonna invent a new form of real estate company. Yeah. What do you think you are? Well, I'm gonna try. So I showed a lot of chutzpah, I guess. So yeah, I guess. And, well, you're a Canadian, REIT And you're going to start buying American property. American right. property in Texas when, when everyone in else Texas? has gone to the U.S. <laughs>
1: and got and lost their shirt.
3: Right. Yeah. So yeah, th- those are examples of chutzpah. It's it's uh, uh, you know dare, dare to try something. Yeah. Dare to go start your own business.
2: Now you're going
0: to hear from Charles Broffin the famed philanthropist and entrepreneur behind the Montreal Expos, Cadillac, Fairview, Birthright, and of course, his family is the Seagram's family.
4: Chutzpah is uh, sort of daring, but in a not nice way. The chutzpah of that person to think that he can rule the world. Chutzpah business is damn good. Damn good. Because if if you don't have some chutzpah, you're not gonna get very far. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that both of you, I and mean, you are not the first tea company in the world. No you weren't the first Shopify company in the world. Certainly there was not. And, but you had the guts and the and the drive. Husband business, I think, is really drive and not giving a damn about all the, uh, all the uh, procedures and things that are in the textbooks.
1: Okay, now you're gonna hear from Aldo Bensadoon, the founder of Aldo Shoes, which had over 3,000 shoe locations. Tell us about how he dropped
3: his biggest supplier and what happened after that. You know, like I could think of HUSPA, like you said, is, you know, when I made the decision to leave, you know, my former employer, then leave Chateau. Then and there was other moment in, you know, in my career that you had to make big decisions like for example um we used to to sell not only aldo but we used to sell dr martin okay. in our store which is and a big brand time. it was a yeah, yeah. and we uh, we were doing extremely well at one point you know we uh they told us that we were the second largest user or account after england wow uh, On the the planet? On the planet. Incredible. And uh, we had a great relationship with them. And uh, we even, you know, we design, a company designed some of the product that Dr. Martin is still carrying today. Wow. And um, we had a very, very close relationship. And they were very, very nice people too. And then they said, well, if Aldo is doing so well in Canada. Maybe what we should do is that we should, you know, we should not only sell to him, but we should sell to everybody. everybody. Of course. And uh, at the time, the only people, they were selling to ne- Neon mm-hmm. yeah. and to ourselves. And that's it. And um, And in fact, Neon was going through us to buy the shoes. You so know? you were almost
0: like a distributor for- we were,
3: So then they said, we're going to open our own. Right. And uh, we said, uh, no. And at that point, certain store, like we had at store in Chicago, yeah. when 90% of our sales came went, and f- come from Dr. Martin, rather than our- Wow. See, high so stakes you talk you. about HUSPA. Oh, yeah. I remember I was with my wife at a meeting with, the Griggs, which owned Dr. Martin in, in Scotland, or in England, I should say. And, um, and they, w- there was also, um, what's his name now, Robert uh, Greenberg, that was also selling in United States. Mm-hmm. And they had asked us to come and visit them, the uh, Dr. Martin. So they announced to us that they were going to open their own distribution in North America, in Canada and in the United States. And um, we went to bed that night. And then in the morning, we told them, we said, listen, we don't want to buy anymore wow
0: you. so that was yeah. one of your biggest products yeah and because you didn't like what they were proposing you Correct. said
3: because that's it our business model was always going from factories to the you yeah. know that was and, 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 if, and if it was there were intermediaries you yes. didn't want to do that exactly I mean, were you scared i would have been i, been I terrified. very scared yeah very very scared so then at that point we uh we decided you know like to stop working with them and then the following morning they came to us and they said Could you set up uh, for five years a distributorship in Canada on our behalf? It would go through us, Mm -hmm. but it belonged to them, Mm -hmm. okay? And we said, okay, that that fine. We could at least control where we were going to sell the goods, and we were making a commission too, so we accepted it. Same thing in the case of Robert Greenberg in the United States. And what he said, he said, no, oh. to. And what did he do? They give it to you. No. He started, he said, uh, remember at that breakfast, he said, uh, so Aldo, what are you going to do? I said, I'm just going to sell Aldo. And, and he said, he pulled a few sketches, you know, from his pocket and he said, what do you think of those uh, sketches? And I said, it looks pretty good. I mean, you know, like that style or that style. Sure. And he said, perfect. And that's how he founded Sketcher. Wow! wow.
0: <laughs> so he founded Skechers because he didn't want to deal with Doc Martens anymore. Exactly. He didn't want to be just another. Exactly. Customer. And yeah. so yeah. he decided he wanted to also be vertically integrated, like exactly. you. And that's the beginning of Skechers. And that's did right. you
3: from those little sketches?
1: That's
0: unbelievable.
2: <laughs>
1: Okay, now you're going to hear from Jonathan Weiner, who's iconic for building Candarelle, which was one of the largest real estate development companies in Canada, and he's going to tell an amazing story about how he convinced the mayor of Montreal to do something really important.
4: At 16, I went to see Maxwell Cummings, and they were building a large portfolio in Calgary, and I said, listen, I'm 16, I'm going into university next year, and I want a job in management.
5: Right.
4: He said, tell you what. Go buy yourself a pair of hard-toed uh, construction boots and a helmet, and I'm sending you out to Calgary and you'll learn about management. And I learned to build from the oh, yeah, ground up, hard. bottom of the totem pole, yeah. and they put, they put me through the ringer, and I wouldn't quit. End of the summer, I became clerk of the works on the job, and so I moved up quite a peg. I wasn't anymore on the, on the construction site, I was in the office. The next year they hired me to act as a general contractor for the same building, selling tenant improvement packages to the tenants. And I made a million dollars in the six months in my second year, first year of university. Like
0: 17 years old. I mean, that takes a certain certain level of chutzpah, to call and say, I'm gonna be management now. Was that something that, that sort of, is that chutzpah? Is that something that you always sort of had, you always felt? Um, the, the audacity the confidence to do to take something.
4: Yeah, I believe Not taking no for an answer. So figuring it out I was probably a bit brash and a little uh, very naive at mm-hmm. the time.
0: You're 16. I mean, okay. right. Who's yeah. not? Um,
4: I Knew that I was going into management at Concordia, which was Sir George at the time. I Obviously wanted something that was aligned to that but if this was a route to get there. And he told me, he said, you, you know, hunger down, learn, yep. learn everything. And I, the, the amount I learned about construction that summer, and I remember a cement truck driver saying to me, you must be Jewish. Mm-hmm. I said, why? He said, you asked so many questions. <laughs> and I was asking about the different aggregates and how, what's the difference between sure. this concrete and that concrete, and I was learning. I it was learning understand. like yeah. a, a sponge, and I've always been a sponge for learning yeah. from people and or experiences. And then you get to Concordia, which is a, you describe as a part of you. So um, I was very active at uh, Sir George. I was the first student member of the board of governors. I was chairman of uh, clubs, uh, chairman of a blood drive, skiing and all kinds of other activities. I was president of the student union in that last year. I had renovated that student union. What do you mean you renovated the student union? Okay, so a group of us bought the student union, which is where Villeneuve had his
0: bar. Yeah, yeah. Um, So a group of, like, you, you were a student and you bought the building? Yeah. How old were you?
4: 20.
1: This is privately or through the school?
4: Through um, the school, Through the school. And that year I renovated it. And it's actually in itself quite a story because I kept going for a building permit and a set of plans. And the first time, these are all part of the Noah's Maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, first set of plans, the building permit department said you need to make this, this, and this, and this change. And I said, okay, so I went back, made the changes, came back, made application for the permit, didn't get it. This happened three times. Yeah. I finally, I'm only 20, but I'm realizing that I'm being held up yeah, and right. I'm an institution and right. this isn't right. So I go back to the student association floor at, on the fourth floor at uh, Sir George and I said, I'm calling the mayor. Oh, yeah, who are you? You're going to call. I'm calling the mayor. So I pick up the phone. I call the mayor's office. <laughs> <laughs> and the woman says, I'm sorry, the mayor's busy. I said, Well, I kind of knew that that's what you were going to say, but just let me interject a few words here and then we'll see where this conversation goes. I said, My name's Jonathan Weiner. I'm president of the student union. I don't know whether you realize it or not, but the mayor's running for re election in October. And this is the first time that students will have the right to vote at 18 years of age. They are going to be furious when they find out that City Hall has been holding up the student union from being able to renovate and be open in September. That got our attention. Just a moment, please. (laughs) Mayor's not busy all of a sudden. Mayor gets on the phone. He said, uh, tell me the story, Mr. Winner. I tell him the story. He said, you come here at 9 o'clock tomorrow morning. You'll pick up your permit. Wow. And he made the guy hand it to me. He was so red faced.
0: Wow. Chutzpah. Yeah. Total chutzpah. But the chutzpah part of it is the fact that you decided to call call the mayor mayor directly. I mean, whereas most people would never even think to do that. They'd be like, well, I guess that's the way it's done. I guess we have to wait in line. I
4: mean, you're 20 years old. Yeah, but I also, because of the ethos that I was given by my grandfather, payoffs were just not in the vocabulary.
0: Okay, now you're going to hear from Izzy Sharp, the founder of The Four Seasons. And he's going to talk about what happens when you remove if from your
5: vocabulary. It's not a, a personality as a braggart. I think it's a per, it's a personality that you have a subliminal belief in yourself that when you believe with what you're doing, will work. Even though there's... Skeptics all around you sh- telling you why it won't work, all the you know, reasons that mm-hmm. they can give you. But that doesn't stop you from saying, I know you, what you're saying is true, because what, what they are telling you are facts of the past. And you say, I, I know. You're not telling me something I haven't heard before, but I think this will work. I think I'm, but I'm not, it's not going to deter me you have an inner feeling, and you don't know where it comes from. But it's part of you, in terms of your ability to have the courage to be able to persevere against all the odds and take, and accept the consequences. Mm -hmm. Because you know, if you're gonna roll the dice with everything you own- You may lose, lose. you may lose, yeah. You may lose. So I think that that comes from your genes that you inherit. It's not what you learn in school or you can read in books. It's your, nat- your natural personality that gives you the drive and the energy. And I think it's not like a, being a narcissistic Trump. Mm-hmm. Not that at all. You don't have an ego. It's not like You're doing this because, you know, hey, look how good I am. So I think um, it's personality. And I have to say, you know, our Jewish heritage goes back a long way. That gives us the belief of can do, you know. it doesn't work so be it yeah but I'm going to give it my all sometimes I tell the kids when they all ask these questions I say look in your vocabulary when you're doing things take the word if out of your vocabulary don't say if I would have studied I could have passed into honors if I would have practiced I could have run faster that's bullshit if is a crutch You're afraid to say, I gave it my all. I ran as fast as I could. I came last, but you know what? That's good. I know how fast I can run now. So that is what the chutzpah is. Beautifully said. You're able to say, "I'm, I'm giving it my best, and I'm making no excuses. If it doesn't work, I will say, hey, I wasn't good enough. Wow, and that's okay. You know
0: where you and I really connect—the the the common thread of 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 my story and your story and who I am and who you are—is is it's chutzpah, and we're meeting all these incredible entrepreneurs towards the end of their right. entrepreneurial journeys. Right. Not not the end of their journeys, but the end of their 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 core entrepreneurial ventures. And we're not at the end of our journeys. We're kind of like still in the midst of it. In fact, maybe at the beginning of our we're just our getting journeys started. As well. Yeah. And I'm curious, like, how has your experience affect your chutzpah? Um, I
1: think what people miss about entrepreneurship is how much failure is involved. And I don't, you know, it's it's one thing to say it; it's another thing to feel it, and to feel it on a daily basis. You know, uh, a day feels like a week and a week feels like a month and a month feels like a year. And in the moment, I mean, it can sometimes feel like everything is just not moving and it's just not going to work and it's not going. And we live for those moments where it's like, oh my God, the stars of a line is working. This is amazing. Get that, that entrepreneurial high, yeah. right? But the reality is that's not most days. That's right. Most days are a grind. Sure.
0: And and it how many takes, times do you call me on, on a Monday uh, to talk about something related to Fire Belly, and you're like, oh, this is not working, and this hasn't happened, and I, we I, lost we lost a bunch of inventory, and this pallet came in wet. I mean, that is part of the journey of, of entrepreneurship. Yeah. But I think where chutzpah is such an important ingredient to it is, it gives you the audacity to just keep. Fucking going Well, and, and the chutzpah is like, you know, you you, f- you get used to
1: failure and all of a sudden you're not afraid of it. And and it's, it's you know, and, you, and you're and you not afraid to, y- you sort of say, fuck it, I got nothing to lose. Well, at it, you know, point. You know,
0: we asked all our guests, what, they, what does chutzpah mean to them? One of them said, it's sort of like doing something when everybody else would say, who do you think you are? Right, the nerve of this the guy. The nerve of this guy, the yeah. nerve of this person. And I think that more important than all the other things capital and connections and an understanding of the market, ultimately that may be the most important ingredient in all of this, in business, in building, in entrepreneurship. It is doing something that most people would never dare to do. And realizing that those days where you were down you're a little bit depressed. You're anxious. You're feeling exhausted. That you just keep going because you know that no one else dared to do this, but you, as an entrepreneur, fucking right, you're going to do it.
1: I think I've told you this before. I've never said this on air. Uh, the biggest fear I have is not being able to get up and do what I love to do and be an entrepreneur. That's my biggest fear.
5: Yeah,
1: is I love that. is the is this idea that I mean, and I and I think about that whenever I mean, chutzpah is. It's not. It's you know, to have the nerve, to have the who do you think you are, to be daring in that regard, requires you to. It's not that you're not going to be afraid. I think it's there's a misconception that you know. Oh yes, Chutzpah. He's just he's just got so much guts. He doesn't. He's not afraid at all. I mean, there are times where I'm sure you've made phone calls or gone into meetings or had a very important situation that could impact a a, a big outcome for you, where you were you're you're nervous, you know, and but you did it anyway. You show up, you prep, you get ready, you channel that energy and you don't let that stand in the way of at least trying.
0: Well, so then maybe chutzpah is actually slightly different than what we've been describing. Maybe chutzpah is doing the thing that is daring, getting a result that you didn't want and still doing it again. Yeah. And doing so with, with- A perpetual level of energy that you keep doing the thing that others would say, who does that person think he is? Right. Who like that is not something most people will do, but you do it with enough enthusiasm and you don't reduce the enthusiasm as time goes on.
1: Right. And the greatest feeling as an entrepreneur is is realizing, you know, who do you think you you are? This is who I am. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm an entrepreneur. This is who I am. That's the point. Like I'm never gonna stop trying. I'm never, you know, you can knock me down. But I'm getting back up. You better knock me out, cuz well, I like it ain't, you know. Yeah, you're, you're
0: it. not gonna knock me out. In yeah. fact, that's what this show is. This show is a celebration of Chutzpah, yeah. which fundamentally is a celebration of entrepreneurship.
2: Started from the bottom, now, the, bottom, now the whole team here. Yeah, I didn't keep it real from the jump. Living at my mama's house, we'd argue every month. I was I was trying to get it on my own.